0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of What Guy Means Happiness. I'm so happy that you're listening. Thank you so much. Um, it is my dad's birthday today, so I want to wish him a very happy 82nd birthday. Unbelievable. So awesome. I'm blessed to have him here every day. Um, I'm sure he'll listen to this at some point. So happy birthday, dad. Um, My last episode, I had a great guest, Kat Green, who brought her energy and her story to this podcast, and I was super grateful to have her here, and it was fun to have her here. That was a fun podcast, and I'm trying to channel some of her energy for this podcast episode because this isn't the easiest one for me either because it involves some particularly low points in my journey. Um, I think where we left off, I was at the Laventana residential with Kat and, um, I wasn't getting any better. The, they had ripped me off of, and when I say ripped, it's just that that's how I felt. I felt like they had kind of just ripped the band-aid and taken all of my medications away and put me on new stuff and the new stuff wasn't working because it was, you know, non-benzodiazepine and also an SSRI that takes time to work. And I had only been there a few weeks. So after about three and a half weeks, um, I was not doing well at all. And as I said before, I finally got one of the counselors to take me to the emergency room, and that's where they gave me a Klonopin. And I took that, and like 20 minutes later, we were back in her car going through the McDonald's drive-thru. I had my appetite back for the first time in weeks. I felt lighthearted. I felt good. You know, it's amazing what these medications can do. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is my experience. This is how I felt. Um, So I went back to La Ventana with my McDonald's meal And all was well for at least, you know, a few more hours. And they had given me a prescription for clonopin. And my husband and daughter and my mother-in-law were coming to visit me the next day. And I knew that there was no way that the psychiatrist at La Ventana was going to allow me to have my prescription of clonopin filled because they didn't allow benzodiazepines. And so... Unfortunately, in the state that I was in, when my husband and baby came to visit, I was so worried about my anxiety because at that point I was anxious again because Clonopin only lasts like, you know, I would say maybe 12 hours and then you need to take another one and they didn't come till the next day. And I was so excited and happy to see my husband and my daughter but I was also desperate to have my prescription filled so that I could make it through the next week or whatever at La Ventana. So I asked my husband to fill it and to kind of hide it and bring something to the house. I forget how we did it, but he filled that prescription and brought it back to La Ventana for me. And I hid it in my sock drawer. This is how bad things were guys. Like, this is not what I recommend at all. I do not recommend sneaking in prescriptions of benzodiazepines into whatever treatment you're doing. This is not the right thing to do. And I am not proud of it, but I was desperate to feel better. And it was the only thing that was working at that time. But ironically, you know, I didn't really take it because I knew they were against it. And I just sort of, you know, I'm very, i I follow the rules, you know, I tend to follow the rules. So ironically, I I had the prescription filled by my husband, but then I didn't take it. I just kept it hidden. And I, about three or four days later, was told in the morning that insurance had decided not to cover my stay anymore and that I was leaving that day. And this is the same clinical director that had like stayed on the phone with me Like every hour on the hour, a few days prior, trying to get me not to go to the hospital. Like until midnight, she'd stayed on the phone and counseled me and tried to give me coping skills and tried to do whatever she could to keep me there. Now that insurance wasn't covering me, she couldn't get me out of there fast enough. And this is just one thing that I want to cover really quick is the healthcare system and the residential treatment facility system. You know, it's covered when you're covered by insurance. They call every week to get you covered for another week. So the insurance checks in and says, like, how is the patient doing? Do they need another week? Can we get them out of there? Because as I said in my last episode, a lot of these um, residential care facilities can cost anywhere from forty to $100,000. And that's why you want to find one that's covered by your, your insurance. And so this one was covered by my insurance. And so they were calling every week and they would talk to the clinical director and she would lobby for me to stay. And towards the end of my stay, about three weeks in, I was telling her that I wanted to go home. Like I was just kind of telling her, like, I don't think this is working for me. Obviously, you know, I'm not getting any better. And at this point, I was coming to activities, but I was curling up in a blanket on the couch and being almost... Non respondent, which is very strange for me. Like, I'm not somebody that doesn't talk. I'm kind of an extrovert. I, it just was, it was just pointing toward the problem, which was that I wasn't getting any better. And I was getting tired of the routine that I was in there. And I started telling any counselor there that would listen to me that, you know, I wasn't getting any better. And I started convincing myself that I was having more than intrusive thoughts, you know, that I was maybe, maybe I was becoming suicidal. I thought maybe, maybe, you know, this, it was worse than I even thought. Maybe I have depression. I had actually convinced myself that I had clinical depression and what the clonopin on the night that they took me to the emergency room and I went to McDonald's after what the clonopin showed me was that I'm not, none of those things. I'm not suicidal. I'm, I'm not clinically depressed. I'm just anxious and I need relief. I really need relief. And so I just remember telling the clinical director towards the end of my stay there, don't lobby for another week. Like don't, you know, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. I don't know what to do, but I don't want to be here. So she comes in one morning after I'd been there about three and a half weeks and says insurance has stopped covering you. You are leaving today. And she said it with her cheerful like way of saying everything. And it was like, we're not keeping you even if you want to that kind of attitude. And here I also want to mention there's this movie called Body Brokers and it is about mostly like drug and alcohol facilities, but it's about residential treatment facilities and how they really want to fill those beds. Like those beds are precious. They are worth a lot of money. And the film Body Brokers is one that I wouldn't take very seriously. I mean, it's, 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 it's an extreme case of the system but I would say if you wanna watch it on a Saturday afternoon when you've got nothing to do, pull it up on, you know, whatever streaming device you use or streaming platform and watch it because I don't know if it's true that they, you know, that the system is, is that flawed. But I think it might be just from my own experience of not being given the chance to take the medication that helps me because they want to keep me there. And then trying to argue with my insurance company every week, saying I still need to stay there while they're looking at me and they're seeing that I'm not getting any better. So in this movie, it's mainly drug and alcohol addiction and those types of rehabilitation facilities. But it shows that they sometimes pay people to come back to rehab and get better and then kick them out when they're when they're better again, knowing that they're not, they're not going to stay better. They're going to relapse. And then they bring them back into rehab again. And it's like a whole system. They keep track of them and they pay the money to come back to rehab. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but from my own experience in my first residential facility, at least this one that I was in Laventana. I'm not afraid to say its name because this was something that was very wrong with it. It made you feel like you were in the system. Because at that moment, I was like, oh, wait a minute, you never really cared about me getting better. You just wanted to keep me here because of how much my bed is worth and how much you're collecting from insurance. So keep that in mind when you go into a residential facility. Don't go into one that's like chasing you down like a hound dog, hunting you down to try to get you into their facility, no matter what, trying to sweet talk you into their facility, you know, make sure that they really have cared for your type of case, that they know what they're doing and that you're not going to become just like a number to them, that they really are going to take care of you. You know, like Kat said, maybe you need to tell them I have a medication list that I want to stick to. You know, really advocate for yourself because It's so important, you know, if you're going into this type of care, you're paying for it or insurance is paying for it and you need to get what you're paying for. Okay, I'm done with that. So (laughs) I was released from La Ventana, like out of the blue to me, call my parents because I knew William was working and I say, can you guys come up to Thousand Oaks and pick me up? And they were like, yes, they couldn't wait to like break me out. So my parents come and get me and I'm like in a blur here, like I don't even know what to think because I also like had been just given all my medications and I had no doctor and no therapist really lined up except for the psychiatrist I had when I went into all this that I didn't really trust very much. And so we stop at Carl's Jr. on the way home and we get home and my mother-in-law is there with my baby and she gives Maddie to me immediately. And I just like was so happy to see my daughter. Like I just kissed her and kissed her and kissed her and kissed her. I couldn't believe that I'd been gone for so long. And it wasn't really really that long. It was three and a half weeks, but it's a long time for a new mom to be away from from her daughter, from her baby. So, you know, to make a long story short, um, I actually somehow miraculously recovered. I was suddenly my anxiety seemed to dissipate for the next few weeks after I got home, and my routine was that I would drive Maddie, take wake Maddie up, dress her up, take her to daycare, come home, and then I would do the Laventana aftercare program, which was an online PHP or IOP program, which Kat had described last time. It's like you know um, outpatient care, but through you know a program like La Ventana, and you can attend via Zoom or you can attend in person, but they basically give you therapy for three to eight hours a day, depending on which program you're in. So I started in the full day program and then I went down to the half day program and then I would exercise and I would clean and then I would go pick up Maddie and then I would feed her dinner and I would get her cleaned up and I would put her to bed. And I was doing this routine and unfortunately my anxiety came back. You know i was also doing this thing called tms which is called transmagnetic stimulation and what they do is they actually put like let me look it up for you hold on one second here it is okay tms using a coil that is strategically placed on the scalp tms uses repetitive magnetic pulses that are targeted to the mood center of the brain the resulting electromagnetic currents act to stimulate dormant brain cells in the limbic region, eventually rebalancing brain chemistry and resulting in improved concentration, sleep quality, and overall mood. Now, TMS treatment is mainly for people with depression, but it can also help people with anxiety. They have like limited scientific evidence on this, but they do have scientific, scientific evidence that it can help people who have depression. So I went ahead and did it and my insurance approved it. So they covered it. So it was free to me and my insurance covered it. Because if you look at my record, I tried everything else. Like I said, leave no stone unturned. But sometimes I look at all my stones and I'm just like, what the heck? How did I get through this? But luckily, um, my insurance covered it and it went for like, I think, 30 days or something like that, where I would drive there and sit there and they would do this they put this helmet on me and do this magnetic pulsing while I watched whatever I wanted on TV. And this would go on for about 15 minutes to half an hour. And I thought it was working because my anxiety got better for a while. Like my appetite came back. I remember going to the pool and going swimming and in the sunshine. And I felt like maybe I was getting better and I had such high hopes. And then I can't really tell you what happened, but I wasn't better and my anxiety just came back and I contacted a doctor in Los Angeles who's very well known. And this is Kat Green's doctor. I guess I can say his name. His name is Meryl Spirago and you could like look him up and he's very well known for what he does. He's an expert um, for treating, you know, women's depression and, and, you know, I think he's also an expert in dealing with postpartum and all types of issues with women. He guested on that um, documentary that I first showed my parents called When the Bow Breaks. He was actually a guest speaker on that documentary. So anyway, I call him up and he is able to see me. So he basically tells me that he wants to keep me on the same medications, but he'll allow me to take the clonopin. So the clonopin was my saving grace because I didn't really believe that the SSRI, which at this time was Luvox, which is supposed to help especially OCD cases or people who have impulsive thoughts um, or intrusive thoughts rather. Anytime with my baby was a big deal to me because I had these intrusive thoughts and I was worried that I was going to hurt her or hurt myself, and so this was a big concern for me. So allowing him, allowing me to stay on my clonopin was wonderful. He also gave me a little bit of therapy. He was very comforting. I can see why he's so popular. And, um, I also found a nearby therapist to talk to. And I also was talking to another therapist that Dr. Spirago had recommended and, um, because he couldn't see me any longer. So this is another thing. Like my other therapist for 15 years, couldn't practice anymore. Then Dr. Spirago didn't have time to see me on a regular basis. He He like assessed me, he treated me, he saw me a few times, and then he passed me on to this other woman who was my therapist now and who could also prescribe, who was very young, but I thought, well, she's a perinatal psychiatrist. So, you know, she knows what she's doing. She's from UCLA. It's fine. Um, I'll call her Patty. So Patty was my new therapist and psychiatrist at the same time. I didn't have a lot of faith in her just because she was new and she had to sort of prove herself to me, I felt. And so at the same time, you know, I was extremely high functioning. I mean, I was doing, like I told you, my whole routine and that was my saving grace, just doing my routine. And we had, we managed to have very nice baptism celebrations for Maddie and a first birthday party that I organized that went off without a hitch and was awesome. And we had this, all this great ballooning and we had like a jumpy house and a taco cart and she was wearing a fiesta outfit and all of the tables had centerpieces with pictures of her on them. And I just put my whole self into this birthday party and I was able to do it. And All I can say is that whatever event I did, there wasn't a glass of wine far away from me. There was always wine nearby. I had started to really look forward to evenings when I could have a five ounce glass of wine, which my therapist had said I could have. And it would give me, you know, some levity and it would give me some relief, like the moment I would drink it because I wasn't used to having like a happy hour or wine or whatever every day. And I started to have one every single day. And it would always be, you know, after Maddie went to sleep, I would have a glass of wine. And then it became two glasses of wine, you know. And then it became, oh, well, I can have it when she's, you know, while I'm, you know, playing with her. She can see it. She's just a baby. She doesn't know what a glass of wine is. And so I would drink my wine. It started about 6 PM. Now it went started, usually started at seven. Now it started at six. And then it went from one glass to two glasses. And you can kind of see the direction this is going in. And a few months into this, which would be the fall of 2021, like September, October, my anxiety had gotten so bad. Nothing was helping, not even the clonopin, And I was just beside myself. And I started drinking earlier, like during the day. And this was very bad. And it got to the point where my mom would have to come over and be there with me because I didn't want to be alone with my intrusive thoughts. And the doctor was trying to be patient with the medications and she was trying to, you know, Patty, she was trying to make sure that we didn't do anything too fast. And she tried to prescribe me a few things that didn't work as additives and the Luvox just didn't seem to be working and I knew I was going to have to change and how long that was going to take and I was just so desperate again. I was just doing my routine all day long but I was alone with my thoughts and my thoughts were really scaring me and my mom started to come over and just keep me company and keep me company with the baby when I was with the baby. And I knew that like, this wasn't easy for her because she's usually with my dad and they have a routine. And so my dad knew that things were pretty bad with me and everybody was trying to talk to me and, you know, help me. And I had another therapist I was seeing who was covered by my insurance, who was nearby and he was a nice old man. And I saw him just for like a few weeks. And I remember right before my daughter's first birthday, like the Friday before, my anxiety had been so bad that I told him I wanted to go to the hospital again. And I remember him saying, Okay, just make sure your husband takes you and you don't call 911. Don't make it into a big deal. Just go with your husband. And, you know, it just was like he was also admitting that he thought maybe I needed to go back to the hospital. And instead of doing that, I went to smart and final and got the candy for the pinata and continued with my, my daughter's first birthday. And I'm so glad I made that choice because her birthday ended up being wonderful. And it's a memory that we have and we have beautiful pictures and she had a great time. Uh, but it was, you know, I was struggling. I was struggling during this time and the days were just They were just getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember one day I felt so hopeless that I like threw myself onto the floor of my daughter's nursery and I was crying and I was just saying, Mommy's so sorry, Maddie. Mommy's so sorry. I love you so much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm crying and I'm sobbing and I'm telling my mom, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And William comes in and he sees me in this state and he says, that's it. I'm going to take a leave of absence. And I was like, no, don't do that. My God, you know, don't disrupt your worries. He's Like I can't have you throwing yourself on the floor in this state and I'm working and I'm not helping you. Like I need to help you. I need to be there for you. So he did. He took a leave of absence and he stayed with me. And my mom was able to go back home and be with my dad. And for a few days or a week, you know, um, he just stayed with me and he took care of the baby and he took all of that off of me. And we went running together to try to like, you know, get my, do the the physical fitness that can also help with your mood. And we ate meals together. He made sure I ate. I mean, he was like, he was taking care of an invalid at this point. And, and actually, you know, he realized, I think, and I realized that it didn't help me to have him there because my routine was saving me and he was taking away responsibilities that I had had, you know, taking care of Maddie and, you know, cleaning and doing things. He was doing all this for me and he thought he was helping me, but actually it just gave me more time to feel like, what do I do? Like listening to my thoughts. And you know, one night we were at home or one afternoon and I just cried and told him like, William, this isn't working. And at this point I had actually gone back to work at the consulting firm that I was at. I knew I wasn't going to be able to continue that. I knew I wasn't going to be able to continue working, you know? And I was like, God, am I going to have to go on another leave of absence when I just got back off of one? Like, what do I do? You know, cause work did not make me feel better the way I hoped it would. And William was now off and I felt guilty about that. I just had so much guilt and shame around what was going on at this time. And so I decided that I should go to another residential. And at this point I'd also had to go to a new therapist So Patty had been told by her superior that I actually needed more care than she was able to give, also making me feel like, you know, I'm in really bad shape. And so she referred me to a new therapist who is my therapist to this day, and I love her. And she has stuck with me through thick and thin. I don't know what to call her yet. I'll call her Julie. So Dr. Julie has been my therapist since probably September, October of last year. And so that's about a year now. And she's been with me through a lot and she did not want me to go to the hospital. And she did not think that I needed to go to a residential, but of any residential that she had heard of that I could go to next, there was one called Clearview, which specialized in dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. So It's different, and DBT is often used to treat people who are suicidal or people who have uh, borderline personality disorder. Let me see if I can find it and read like a definition of it because it's very specialized. Hold on. Okay, so dialectical behavioral therapy is an evidence-based psychotherapy that began with efforts to treat personality disorders and interpersonal conflicts. Evidence suggests that DBT can be useful in treating mood disorders and suicidal ideation, as well as for changing behavioral patterns such as self-harm and substance substance use. DBT focuses on helping people accept the reality of their lives and their behaviors, as well as helping them learn to change their lives, including their unhelpful behaviors. Dialectical behavioral therapy was developed in the 1970s by Marsha Linehan, an American psychologist. So I had actually been reading the biography of Marsha Linehan because I was planning to go to this residential and I had told them that I wanted to go and I was waiting to be able to go because they had a wait list. And I also was taking DBT courses at night at home. And we had hired part-time help for Maddie from a local woman who's wonderful. We call her Gigi. And, um, she, she just, I answered my prayer and answered my ad in, um, the Nextdoor app. I think a lot of you probably know what that is, but, you know, you can ask you know, people in your local community or announce things or ask questions or, so I posted a lot of people post for help with, with certain things like childcare. So I posted cause we needed evening help so that I could attend this DBT course at night in preparation to go to this, um, to go to this residential, but maybe hopefully they could help me enough at night that I, with my end night courses that I wouldn't need to go to the residential. So we hired help for Maddie and Gigi's just wonderful. And she continues to be our babysitter of choice whenever we need someone for Maddie. But at this time I was doing my DBT courses, but I was also Drinking two to three glasses of wine a day, and towards the end, when I was right about to go to Clearview, and the DBT did not seem to be helping me, because um, you know from the from the what I read to you, it's for people who are you know really actively dealing with suicidal ideation or do harmful actions like self harm themselves or you know maybe like harm other things or other people and you know it's 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 really used for people with borderline personality disorder and people with you know suicidal depression and things like that and i didn't know if it could help me but at this point i was like you know i've been through the laventana course of cbt they also taught a little bit of dbt but not really but i thought maybe this dbt intensive program could help me and my psychiatrist at the time was helpful too that it that it that it could but she sort of wanted to keep me at home and just find the right medication regimen and looking back I think that probably would have been best but I was in a hurry to get better and I've always thought you know well if I change my environment and I go into another program maybe this will help me so um, I got admitted into the DBT Facility called Clearview, and it's in Venice Beach in California. If that gives you any idea of what kind of experience that was going to be, <laughs> um, Venice Beach is just known as being very artsy fartsy and um, unfortunately ridden with homeless people and um, just a mixed batch over there. So I wasn't really looking forward to going to Venice Beach for four weeks, but anything that could help me. Um, now they have two houses at Clearview. One is an all women's house and it's in, I think it's in Westwood or another area, West LA, another area in West LA. And that's an all women's facility. And I thought that's where I was going, but because I told them that I was drinking, you know, two to three to four at this point, glasses of wine a day. And I was drinking earlier and earlier and they, they said, you know, we think you need to go through a detox because we definitely don't want you drinking and we definitely don't want you taking your clonabin. And I was like, oh my God, this clonabin thing again is such a problem. And so I got signed up for a detox facility called ARC in Los Angeles. I'm just giving out names here, but I don't care because I'm telling the truth <laughs> and I actually think ARC is a good facility. Um, I So anyway, you know, I packed my bags, and my mom was just beside herself. She couldn't believe this was happening, you know, having to leave my family again, but I really needed to. I mean, I needed something because I just was not in good shape, and I wasn't being a good wife and a good mother. I mean, I was probably being a good wife and a good mother, but it was very hard for me. And especially when I started drinking more than I should, I mean, I needed to shape up. So I shipped out. I went to this, you know, I had William dropped me off at this facility and they were going to detox me for 10, seven to 10 days off of clonopin and wine. And then they were going to take me to straight to Clearview. So they work with Clearview and they know them and they're going to take me there. So to my pleasant surprise, the detox was a, was a very pleasant experience for me. And I was very comfortable there. It was another really nice house in West LA, very close to where we used to live. So I was comfortable with the area too. And I was there with people who were detoxing off of alcohol, meth, oxy. My roommate was a 18-year-old or 16-year-old girl. She was so young and she was detoxing off of OxyContin, I believe. And she was so sweet. And then I had there was somebody else there, a guy that I would like watch TV with every night. We would watch Lula Hammer on Netflix. And he was detoxing off of meth and he wanted to just get better and go back to his family and move to a rural part of, I forget which state, but he had these plans to move to this huge property they had bought, but he had to get better first. And then there was somebody that came in who was detoxing off of alcohol. Actually, there was another guy there detoxing off of alcohol as well. And it was like their second or third time in, you know, rehab. And for some of these people, there was no plan to go anywhere else. There was just this detox and they were going to go home. And I don't know if that really works. You know, I think you do need to go to a program for sure. um, From what I know um, and what I've seen, because the girl that I was rooming with told me that as soon as she got out, she was going to do more like she wasn't going to she was going to try to be more careful but she was going to do more. And that's not what you want, right? So I don't know. The detox facility was pleasant for me because instead of clonopin they gave me another benzodiazepine called Ativan. And they also gave me a few old-fashioned anxiety drugs that are meant to help people going through a detox and they helped me. Like I was not anxious. My appetite came back. I was hopeful. I was very um I would say optimistic about the future. I was calling. I was able to the phone privileges were pretty great there so I could have my phone most of the time and I stayed in touch with my family. And I was telling my mom and dad, like, I really think this is going to work. I think the DBT thing is really going to help me because I was still reading the bio of Marsha Linehan while I was there. And, you know, I was telling William that I felt good and I was keeping in touch with Maddie and I felt like there was hope again. And I was hopeful about Clearview because they spoke highly of Clearview as well. And that's where I was going next. So my detox ended early. It ended after five weeks because the psychiatrist said she doesn't need much more. She's detoxed. She's now on Ativan instead of Klonopin. So I don't really see how that's a detox, but let's anyway, Um, (laughs) I was on a different benzo now, Um, but I wasn't going to be allowed to take that benzo when I got to Clearview and I didn't know how potent that benzo had been until they took it away from me. So anyway, after 5 days, they said she can go cuz she's not addicted to alcohol. Alcohol was just a coping mechanism and she can she doesn't need to be here longer. So I got to Clearview and it was a rainy day in Los Angeles and a rainy day in Venice Beach is not that pretty, I will just say. And I had had such high hopes for Clearview. And I remember pulling up to it and thinking, this can't be where I'm gonna be. This after I'd been through like La Ventana had been a very nice house in Thousand Oaks, and ARC is a really nice house in West LA. Clearview was it was like a frat house. I pulled up and you know, it was raining and the person came and, and took me in. And I just, it was like I froze because I had walked through the house and it was like this frat house type thing with a lot of kids there. I mean, there was a lot of kids there that were like 15 or 20 years younger than me, as far as I could tell. And they were all vaping. I think they were on a break from their classes at that point and every single one of them had a cigarette or a vape and they were all vaping like or sitting in this on this couch in the living room looking kind of glum and they were you know looking at me cuz i was new and i obviously just didn't have a lot in common with them <laughs> and i you know i don't vape and i don't smoke so there's that but i went into the intake process and i just started crying i was just baw- i started just my anxiety like came back or, you know, was still there. And I hadn't had an Ativan in a while because I wasn't allowed to take it there. And I was just beside myself. Like I looked around me and I was like, I can't be here. This isn't going to work. This is not therapeutic for me. This is not a therapeutic environment. And they showed me to my room, which was like shared with two other people. And it had no walls, it was upstairs and had no walls and so like you could hear everything that was happening and I just cried and cried and cried and I took a nap for like an hour and then they moved me. They, they saw that I was like not gonna be productive in that room so they moved me to another room that's in like a like cabana and it had three beds in it and it was freezing cold it had space heaters to keep the people warm. Not at all the pictures that you see when you Google search Clearview, which I'm like, go ahead, do it. <laughs> Google search Clearview online, and you look at—they only show you pictures of the women's house. I think that's in a different area, and it's nicer. And they show you these like middle-aged women or young to middle-aged women clothed in, you know kind of like office wear clothing almost sitting there doing their therapy together and it looks very, you know, professional. This where I was was the opposite of that. It was not professional at all. I mean, it was crazy town. It was loud. It was, you know, just teenagers, you know, teenagers and in low people in the low 20s were the patients. And I think there was maybe one guy in his thirties that was there and he was about to leave. And I just sobbed. I was like, I can't be here. This is not going to work for me. And I didn't know what to do because I'd been through everything else. And so I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So there I was at Clearview and, you know, they have their psychiatrist there too, who insisted that I not take any Ada because you know I had just been through a detox obviously. So I stayed for I think I was there for two days. I cried the entire time. I mean I just cried the I went to classes crying. I had my therapist who who would help me. I like the therapist they assigned me there she was very sweet, um, trying to help me, but I would just cry. I mean, my face was just swollen because of all the tears. And at one point, you know, they recommended an ice, an ice bath for my face, which is a very DBT thing to do. You just change your body chemistry like suddenly, and it helps with whatever you're going through. So I dunked my face in ice water probably like two or three times. That didn't help me either, guys. I mean, this was just not the right place for me. They had this fabulous Filipino cook, I will say. They had fabulous food, but I couldn't enjoy any of it because I had no appetite. Um, And I remember on my second or third night there, I still had no phone privileges, too. So I couldn't really like call anybody or talk to anybody because I think the first seven days there was no phone at all. You couldn't use your phone. And so um, I remember the. Second or third night, I was trying to sleep, and one of the girls had come in who was new, newer than me, and she was uh, manic, bipolar, and she was off her meds. And so she would just walk back and forth all night, all through the property. And the property was, you know, made of like three different houses where they had people. But she was walking through like the outside area of my house, the the place where I was staying. And I could hear her all night long talking to herself, giggling to herself. Um, At one point, she started doing a workout outside my door. She started doing jumping jacks and, you know, push-ups or something. And She was just doing this all right outside my door. And I couldn't sleep. And this was after the the people, the night shift crew, which is always like young kids, like not really, there's not the day shift when they have the clinical director there and they have the nurses there and they have, you know, and it had already all all been chaotic and people were not responsible and things weren't happening when they were supposed to. I still hadn't gotten, you know, my meds under control. Like I still had no idea. And I was off my rocker anxious because I couldn't take any of my Advan, and it was just <laughs> it was just awful. It was really, really awful. And then I have this girl outside my door on this last night that I not my last night at Clearview, but my last night where I was still thinking I was going to stay there. Um, just doing a workout at like 3 a.m. in the morning or 1 a.m. in the morning or whatever time it was outside my my door, and no one would do anything. The staff just let her do this, like just disrupt everybody. And everybody had already been complaining about her because she was like just out of out of her mind she was she was just going back and forth and just pacing 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 and asking people for cigarettes and just you know talking to herself and cackling at herself and it was actually a little scary and they you know and I feel for her because she needed meds too like she needed some help and they weren't getting it for her and um So she was, you know, doing aerobics or whatever outside my window. And that's when I just decided I'm not going to stay here. And this is where I always tell everybody, advocate for yourself and leave no stone unturned. Well, more advocate for yourself. This is an example of that. I just knew this wasn't a place of healing for me. And this was not going to be a good place for me to spend the next 30 days and $40,000. So I made up my mind that I was going to get up the following morning and I was going to walk into their office where they have the meds and the nurses and the clinical director and whoever every day. And I was going to say, what is happening here is unacceptable. The people you have here at night are irresponsible. They can't handle the, the crowd, which is very true. And this is not a place that is conducive to healing for me. You know, I don't vape, I don't smoke, I don't have borderline personality disorder, I don't have suicidal ideation, I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol, and this is a dual diagnosis place where you guys do this, the 12-step the program, and everything is very focused on that, and that's not going to help me because that's not my problem, which was why I got here early, was because they decided, oh, she doesn't have a problem with alcohol, it's just a coping mechanism, it's not an addiction. So I'm not in the right place, guys. You need to get me out of here. And I made up my mind that night, and I kind of went through it in my head. And my anxiety kind of just, for a minute, just went down far enough so I could fall asleep. And then I woke up the next morning, and I executed my plan exactly as I had planned it. And I walked into the office. No tears. I think I even put some makeup on, and it was like they didn't even recognize me. And they said that too. They said, wow, it's like a new person. And I said, under no no circumstances, under no circumstances, am I staying here? You either need to move me to your other facility or move me out. You know, I don't know. This is not going to work and I need to leave. And I told them that the staff the night before had not been able to handle what was going on. I told them that there was a girl doing a workout outside my window because she is off her meds bonkers crazy. And I was bonkers crazy tier two. So I'm not, you know, trying to name call, um, you know, persistent and very, uh, convincing. And I think I was very together, you know, which they hadn't seen. They'd only seen the, the weeping mess that I had been since I had gotten there and they knew I was serious. And Suddenly, you know, the executive director of Clearview shows up and the clinical director and they have me sit down with them and they say, okay, well, we'll try to figure this out, you know, um, and they try to get the psychiatrist online, and the psychiatrist tells me over Zoom, well, do you think that you, or FaceTime, I think it was, well, would you want to take your Ativan? Would you take your Ativan? And I'm like, what are you talking, Ativan, you just put me through a detox because you thought I was addicted to benzodiazepines. Now you're telling me to take the benzodiazepine. So confusing. You know, will I take it? Sure, you know, but I'm not supposed to be taking that. That's what you have said. You know, it's just that you haven't been able to come up with anything new yet. And so I'm just sitting here suffering while I wait for you to figure out meds. And by the way, there are other people here that obviously need their meds figured out that you aren't helping. So you know, I was having these types of conversations, and I, I got to talk to William, and my my mom and daddy were shocked that this is what I'd been going through, and William, you know, was just very understand. My, my angel, William, you know, my husband, just understanding, and immediately started looking for new places, and immediately, you know, Clearview let me have my phone so that I could do discharge planning, which is, you know, basically figure out where you want to go and we don't know what to do with you anymore. So please just go. And so I started looking around and I'm going to leave it there for right now because, um, the next steps were, is where the healing started and they were big steps that I took and far away steps that I took to get better. Um, But at this point, I'll just leave it there at Clearview and the hectic, um, Venice beach borderline personality disorder facility that I was in. Um, and yeah, that's where I was. And so we will get into the next steps next time. Um, I just hope everybody has a great rest of their day. I know this was a very chaotic episode, but it kind of represents the chaos of that time. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like the podcast, subscribe to it, share it, rate and review it. I, I love getting those reviews. Um, I read them and they mean a lot to me. And you can follow me on Instagram at LaGaya Means Happiness. You can also follow me on Facebook at LaGaya Means Happiness. And you can reach me personally through my DMs and also on Instagram through my DMs and Facebook messages, but also um, an email which is lagaya means happiness at gmail.com. So I'm always reachable. I love hearing everybody's feedback that this podcast is helping them in some way, shape or form. It's just my story and it's got so many twists and turns. I just felt like I needed to share it. And so I'm glad that it is helping people. So with that, have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. And I will talk to you next time.